heavens and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His words are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, the truth of it, the comfort of it, the direction of it. We thank you, Lord, that when your spirit joins your word, change takes place, transformation takes place. So, Father, we ask now that this would be a time of uh, of transformation. Ignite our hearts with your truth and your desire for us, Lord, and may we be the people that you've called us to be. We commit ourselves now to you and to the truth of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Just as a refresher, if you weren't here last week, Deuteronomy chapter 32 that's before us this morning is a song. It's a song that God commanded Moses to write, a song that God commanded his people to sing for generations. God says that this song will not be forgotten by their descendants. You know how easy it is to get a song stuck in your head. Somebody starts singing it, somebody starts humming it. Before long, you're singing that tune and and you're humming that tune and you can't get it out of your mind. And so you say, gee, gee, thanks a lot. I'm going to be I'm going to be humming that song all day. Well, this is that song. The Israelites will not be able to get it out of their minds. We saw also last week that in this song, Moses is wide open. He is naked and unashamed of the truth that he is going to proclaim. Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. He calls on the unchanging realities of the universe to bear witness to the truth that he is about to, to speak. And so now this morning, this week, we have an opportunity to begin to look at some of the truth that Moses proclaims to his people, to God's people in this passage, remembering that this truth, whatever it is, is what God will use to refresh his people. Like rain refreshes thirsty people in the desert. Like rain and dew give life to new grass and cause tender plants to spring up. That's what this truth is to do in the lives of God's people, in your life and in my life. So here we go. First, the first thing is that that we must be people who know that the reference point for our lives, the starting point from which we must always launch is the Lord. All of us have reference points. Our family, our family of origin, that's a reference point for most people. Because you have your own family or you will have your own family. Someday, your own children. And you're going to either say this, you know what, I, I, I know what family is to me. 
I want my family to look like the family I grew up in. And so you will work to make that happen. Or you'll say, you know what? I did not like my family of origin. I don't want my family to look anything like that. I'll never be a dad like that. I'll never be a mom like that. I'll do everything differently. But the point still remains that your family is your point of reference. It's what you always go back to for the meaning a family, and you base your decisions on that reality. And so that's what Moses is doing here in, in chapter three. He's establishing God as the point of reference for his people, establishing God as the first truth, establishing God as the place to which we must always return. And so Moses writes in verse three, I will proclaim the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord. Yahweh, the most important name for the Lord in all of scripture. And so I like to imagine Moses stopping here after he writes this verse, putting down his quill, leaning back in his chair, closing his eyes and saying, ah, the name of the Lord. And in his mind, he goes back 40 years. And there he is standing once again at that bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. And God speaks to him from that verse. I am the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Moses remembers trying to get out of doing what God was calling him to do, to go and lead his people out of slavery. And so he says to the Lord, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. The name of the Lord, what an unforgettable moment. For Moses. Maybe his thoughts move forward to that desert place when Moses stood on a rock exposed before the Lord. But the Lord came and took Moses and put him in the cleft of the rock. And then the Lord passed by and Moses saw the glory of the Lord. And as the Lord passed by, he proclaimed, his name to Moses. Can you imagine how powerful that moment must have been? So when Moses writes here in verse three, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How could it be possible that these experiences would not flood his mind? Seeing the glory of the Lord as the Lord pronounces his name, seeing the burning bush, hearing God proclaim his name, I am. Now I want us to do a little time travel of our own. I want us to go back to grammar class and all the unforgettable moments that took place there, right? You can't see the flashing red lights that I'm seeing right now. You can't hear the warning alarms going off in my mind. You know, they're telling me, do not proceed with this little trip. 
it's not going to end well. But here's what I believe. I believe that the gospel changes everything and that it can even redeem grammar. So here we go. I'm sure in grammar class, you learned the being verbs, right? Isamar, was, were, be, being, been, has, have, had, do, does, did. You remember all those? Do you remember those? Yes. The main being verb is to be. Being verbs don't describe any action as other verbs do. They simply indicate a state of being. So we say it this way, God is, period. And that's a true statement, a complete sentence. God is. God says it this way, I am. God is the ultimate being. He is what it means to be fully. Now, I'm not creative enough to describe what it means to be any clearer than that. But I do know this, that when you and I proclaim the name of the Lord, it isn't just calling his name, Lord, Lord, Lord. To proclaim the name of the Lord is to acknowledge God as the ultimate being, the ultimate reality beyond us in ways that we don't understand. There is mystery in this name, I am. There's power in this name, I am. Jesus said to those gathered around him, truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Mysterious, right? Abraham dead for 1,500 years, and here is Jesus before their very eyes, and yet in some mysterious way before Abraham was, Jesus says, I am. He is the Lord. When Judas led the band of soldiers to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus, and they came there with their weapons and their torches, Looking for Jesus, Jesus stepped forward boldly to meet them. And he said to them, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Is that not unbelievable? A legion of armed Soldiers falling to the ground at the name of the Lord, I am. So there's so much more to the name than the letter, the cluster of letters that represent it. The third commandment that we are given. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. See, we want to take the easy thoughtless application of that command because we think to take the name to take the name of the Lord in vain is to to attach the name of the Lord with an expletive a cuss word right and we think as long as we never do that in our lives then we are not taking the name of the Lord in vain that's not it to take the name of the Lord in vain is to not consider the fullness of the name Lord, Yahweh. 
It means to, to empty the name of its meaning as if the name I am is only a cluster of letters. As if ultimate reality and the very definition of what it means to be is not contained in that name. As if our lives are not to reflect the truth of the one whose name we bear and in whose image we are made. As if scripture is not true when it says in him we live and move and have our being. Not to recognize that is to take the name of the Lord in vain. He is our source of life. In him, the I am, you live, you move, you have your being, and so do I. And so the Lord must always be our reference point. Our starting point is the Lord. Everything has to relate back to him. Ephesians chapter four, verse six tells us that there is one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So your life and my life have to be lived in proclamation of that reality. And our lives are ordered rightly only when we begin with proclamation and praise. Again, if you were here last week, we talked a little bit about Hebrew poetry and how Hebrew poets used synonymous parallelism, whereby they took two lines, both lines of equal length, both lines of equal number of syllables, and they stated the same truth in both lines in a slightly different way. We have parallelism again here in verse three. So look there. Proclaim in the first line of verse three is parallel saying the same thing as praise in the second line of verse three. And so Moses is emphasizing by repetition that this song that the people will sing for generations and generations to come, proclamation and praise must be the first verse. Proclamation and praise must always be the starting point. And so it should be for us as well. Our lives are rightly ordered when we begin with praise. Conversely, our lives are not rightly ordered when they begin with grumbling and plaining and complaining and with criticism. No, they must begin praising the name of the Lord and the reality that that name represents. I did a simple search in my Bible program. I did this. I pulled up the English Standard Version, the ESV, and I typed in the word praise. That's it. And the word praise occurs 130 times in the 150 songs contained in the book of Psalms. The word praise only occurs 73 other times in the entirety of the other 65 books of scripture. And so as we've mentioned over and over, the Psalms were the most memorable part of God's word for, for his people. People who did not have a copy of the word of God of their own. And so they were able to sing these songs hum them, 
As the words went through their mind, alone in their house, sing them when they're out in the field, no one is there to hear them. Come to the congregation, come to worship, join your voices with others as they sing these songs to the Lord. In the book of Psalms, the entire range of of human emotion is reflected. There's joy, there's sorrow, there's contentment, there's discouragement, there's faith, there's fear, there's anger, there's confusion, all of it. Every emotion that you've ever felt is contained in the book of Psalms. And yet throughout that book, 130 times, there's this thread that runs throughout its course. And that is that we are to praise. That's where we begin. What are we to praise? Let's get back to our grammar lesson. Oh, eager ones. (laughs) Being verbs are also linking verbs, right? You remember that? A linking verb connects the subject right here. Here's the linking verb to what follows, which is the predicate. So the predicate is going to describe the subject and the verb in the middle is going to link it all together. And so that's what we see going on here. What is the predicate here that describes Yahweh, the Lord? I am the God who is. Look in verse 4. Verse 4 says, he is, linking verb, Yahweh is the rock. Praise the name of the Lord who is the rock. In his state of being, he is solid. The Lord is unchanging. He's the opposite of sand that shifts and blows. Imagine, please imagine, the blowing sand that these people had seen in the desert for 40 years. Imagine the times they'd had to cover their face with their scarfy thing, you know, to, to, to keep the sand from blowing in their face and in their eyes. Sand dunes, they move. You would never give someone that direction. Oh, turn left at the third sand dune. Oh, wait, it blew away last year. Rocks don't move. Rocks don't shift. Sand does. And so the comparison makes sense. When we see that rock in the first line of verse 4 is parallel to faithful God in the second line of verse 4. Faithful means unchanging. It's saying the same thing. If you are faithful to the vows you make, it means you keep your promise. Whatever you say you will do, you will do. That makes you faithful and firm like a rock. And that is what the Lord is. And so that's where we begin in our lives, right? We begin with the fact that God is a rock. He is faithful. He is unchanging. Proclaim the name of the Lord. The predicate continues. Keep looking in verse 4. His words are perfect in the first line. Is parallel with who does no wrong in the second line. So the God who is, is absolutely perfect, without flaw, without imperfection, without irregularity, without mistake, absolute perfection. And so we orient around our lives around that truth about the Lord, right? That is our reference point. Whatever happens in this world, God is a perfect God. Proclaim the name of the Lord. Keep looking in verse 4. All his ways are just in the first line is parallel with upright and just is he in the second line. And so the God who is, is perfectly just. He never decides wrongly. He never misunderstands you. 
He never misconstrues the evidence. God is never prejudicial. He can't be bought off or bribed. With God, you always get justice. Now that's the truth. With God, you always get justice and you never have to go away from the Lord thinking, oh, if only I had presented my case a little differently. If only I had remembered to include this piece of information, then God would have understood what I was saying and then he might have decided differently. Never think that way. God is always just. And so when you proclaim the name of the Lord and when you praise him, These are the qualities that come to our mind. The true things about who he is. Now I want to add a second song. A second verse to this song. And we're going to call the second verse this. The second verse is going to be Jesus. Okay? What do linking verbs have to do with Jesus? You know the answer to this. Because some of your very favorite, most memorable verses of scripture have to do with Jesus and linking verbs. How about this one? Jesus says, I am the bread of life, right? Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Bread, the the spiritual, the, the symbol for spiritual life. Jesus wants us to feel something in this metaphor. We don't have to go on in a condition of spiritual hunger or emotional starvation. Jesus satisfies those longings and those cravings. Praise the name of the Lord. I am, Jesus says, the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light, the light of life. In Christ, there's no more darkness, no fear, no guilt, no shame, no more stumbling around in the dark, not knowing what to do, not knowing which way to go. Not for those who follow Christ. He is life and gives light. Proclaim the name of the Lord. I am, Jesus says, the gate, the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. There's rescue for you. In the person of Christ, proclaim the name of the Lord. I am, Jesus says, the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In Christ, we have someone who considers us before he considers himself. Where else? Where else do we find that? Someone who sacrifices for us. We have someone who protects us and gives his life for us. Where else do we perfectly find that? Proclaim the name of the Lord. I am, Jesus says, the true vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, we are no longer powerless. Is that good news? Not in Christ. No longer helpless victims. Not in Christ. We have purpose. We can accomplish meaningful things through Christ. In fact, we know that through Christ, all things are possible. Proclaim the name of the Lord. I am, Jesus says, the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. This life is not all there is. 
Is that good news? Jesus has prepared a place for us, an eternal place, a forever place. And all we need to say about that is that if Jesus is the one who has prepared it, then it's really, really good. Proclaim the name of the Lord. I am, says Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. What? What is this? A way to the Father? A way for us to get to I am the true, the eternal, existent one? A way to the essence of his being? Yes. Jesus want, God wants us with him. He wants us in his presence. And so we come to him through Jesus, who is the way. Proclaim the name of the Lord. The Lord is not some nebulous essence or power or force. He is life, light, protective care, eternal hope, deep satisfaction, grand possibilities. And so the Israelites sang their song and and we sing the same song with these beautiful verses that Jesus added to it. And all of this is what we proclaim when we do as we are commanded to do in this song. What this song brings to mind when we proclaim the name of the Lord. So we see what's required of us. Proclaiming the name of the Lord is not something that we can do lightly or nonchalantly. Proclaiming the name of the Lord, it requires buy-in for us. Proclaiming the name of the Lord is not something that we can do thoughtlessly. We have to engage our minds. We have to attempt to, to comprehend what is incomprehensible. As we think of all these facets, all these characteristics of the one and only true and living God and his name and the reality that's contained in it. Proclaiming the name of the Lord is not something that we can do quickly, at least not on a regular basis. Somehow it has become an unalienable right that we get out of church in one hour. One hour. Go to the restroom after church, listen to the conversation. The minister kept us over today. Over what? Over time? This command, proclaim the name of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, lays claim on our time, right? Am I wrong in that? It lays claim on our time. Perhaps why the, that's why the Lord has given us an entire day to do it. A day for our rest, a day for our refreshment, absolutely. But where does that rest come from? Where does that refreshment come from? From saying and singing and thinking and praying, Lord, I am, you are. Fill in the blank. Lord, how do I do that well? That's what we ought to be asking. Lord, how do I proclaim your name rightly? What's required of me, Lord, to proclaim your name? Because I know that proclaiming your name, praising your attributes, the, the, the essence of you will orient the rest of my life. 
Lord, you're going to serve as a reference point for everything else. As one made in your image, as one indwelled by your spirit, I can relate everything in my life to you, who you are. And so we always begin with the song of praise. Because praise is what we need to do. It isn't about what some kind of egomaniacal Lord needs. This is about what you and I need. Praise is God's favor to us. We need to proclaim. We need to praise. It completes us. Have you seen the movie, What About Bob? Have y'all seen that movie? It's one of my favorite comedies. And in it, Bill Murray plays Bob. And Bob is this likable guy, but he is completely crippled by his myriad phobias, right? Can't function in life. And so Bob encounters this psychiatrist, Richard Dreyfuss. And, and he really helps him a lot. But the psychiatrist goes on vacation. Well, Bob can't function without his psychiatrist that's helped him so much. And so he follows him uh, on his vacation, right? Well, that doesn't make the psychiatrist happy because he does not want to see patients on his vacation. But Bob ingratiates himself to the family and he snags an invitation to dinner. Remember this part? So Bob goes over uh, to eat with the family. And here's this poor guy. He's just so riddled with problems. And here before him is a family, and they're sitting around a table full of this delicious food. And so Bob takes his first bite and says, mmm. And then Bob takes his second bite and says, mmm. And Bob takes his third bite, mmm. And on and on it goes. With every bite, the mmms get longer and louder. The rest of the family can't eat. Because of all Bob's mmms, but, but they're kind of delighted. They have this smile on their face as they see Bob enjoying this meal. Bob cannot take one single bite without expressing how good it is. Now listen, the mmm was more for Bob than it was for the one who prepared the meal. Bob couldn't enjoy that meal if he couldn't also say mmm. He had to express the goodness of it. And you and I are the same way. About everything else in our lives, we see something good or beautiful or moving. We have to express it. We have to say, oh, wow, look at that. Did you see that? And the worst thing that can happen to us is to see or experience something truly amazing and be all alone. There's no one to express our praise to. And so we say, oh, I wish you had been there to see that. Praise offers us a way to express the goodness of the Lord. To say, "Mm." praise is as much for us and and for our good as it is for the God who inspires it. I was at a conference two weeks ago. And the, and the speaker talked about Christian stink face. Do you know what Christian stink face is? You may have ever heard of it. Christian stink face is when you hear a truth about God that's so good that your face looks like you've just heard something terrible. You know, like, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. <clears throat> 
You know, you know God is love. God is like, mm. and it looks like you've heard something that's awful. And so it's stink face, but it isn't stink face at all. It's like you are expressing how good and how wonderful the Lord is. If we don't have that need to express that praise, if we feel complete when we don't express praise to the Lord, then we are not comprehending God rightly. If you don't feel this mmm rising up within you about the goodness of God, then you don't really know God in his goodness. And you're not understanding the glory of the gospel if you never have stink face. True story. But there's a remedy. You get alone with God. You get quiet. You get the word of God in your hand. You open up to the book of John. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the spirit of God in your heart. You begin to read and ponder the truth about Jesus. And before long, the mmms, they start coming out. Even though no one is around to hear them. This is one of those moments I wish I had an amazing singing voice. I wish I could sing like Fred, because I would sing this song for you, but I can't sing it, so I'll just tell you. I said I wasn't going to tell nobody, but I couldn't keep it to myself. No, I couldn't keep it to myself. No, I couldn't keep it to myself. I said I wasn't going to tell nobody, but I couldn't keep it to myself what the Lord has done for me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Proclaim the name of the Lord. Yahweh, I am. Make praise your reference point, your starting place, the place you run back to often. Praise will prepare you for all that follows. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would make us people of praise.